of big labor. The American labor movement provides Democratic candidates and the Democratic National Committee with hundreds of millions of dollars in funding every year. In the 2000 election cycle alone, according to one estimate, unions spent $800 million, much of it in critical campaign support that goes unreported in the form of manpower, mailings, advertising, get-out-the-vote drives, phone banks, and much more. And what do the labor bosses get in return? The power to call the shots in democratic campaigns and on party policy. This is not mere speculation. A 2001 investigation by the Federal Election Commission, FEC, exposed the quid pro quo arrangement between the unions and the Democrats. According to the FEC, Big Labor has become an equal partner with key Democratic organizations like the Democratic National Committee, DNC, in formulating Democratic Party policy and electoral strategies. The Democratic Party has put on its all-important National Coordinated Campaign Steering Committee representatives from the two biggest union players, the American Federation of Labor and the Congress of Industrial Organizations, AFL-CIO, which is made up of more than 60 affiliated unions, and the National Education Association, NEA, the nation's largest union. The FEC uncovered an internal DNC document from the 1996 campaign that laid out what the Democratic Party called the rules of engagement. When the DNC and its national partners, including the AFL-CIO and the NEA, agree on the contents of a plan, each national partner will give their funding commitment to the state. The document further explained that before any campaign plans could be implemented, they had to be submitted with a signature page showing the formal sign-off of the AFL-CIO and the NEA. As the FEC's final report put it, the unions had authority to approve or disapprove plans, projects, and needs of the DNC and its state parties. In other words, the Democratic Party gave the deep-pocketed unions unprecedented authority, veto power over its election plans. Unfortunately, no one paid much attention to the FEC's dramatic revelation. In part, this was because both the Democratic Party and the AFL-CIO quickly sued to keep the FEC from releasing the Rules of Engagement document and other evidence to the public. Obviously, Democrats don't want the details of their unholy alliance with big labor known to the American people, but union leaders also need to cover up their infiltration of the Democratic Party. Labor bosses continue to speak in terms of fighting for the rights of working men and women, trying to endow their mission with a noble purpose that elevates unions above other so-called special interest groups. Thus, they obscure the fact that they have essentially abandoned the interests of those working people in order to enhance their own political power. In the few days before the Democratic parties and the AFL-CIO's armies of lawyers secured a court order to seal the DNC documents, the details did actually leak to the Associated Press which gave some indication of the Democrats' corrupt bargain with big labor. But the details unearthed in the course of the FEC's 2001 investigation are just a tiny part of a much larger story, a story that until now has not been fully told. And while the FEC investigation focused on the 1996 election, when Democrats Bill Clinton and Al Gore were re-elected, the corrupt bargain continues today. 
In every subsequent election, big labor has thrown its substantial resources behind Democratic candidates and exacted significant concessions for its largesse. In the closely contested 2000 election between George W. Bush and Al Gore, for example, the unions pushed fiercely for the Democratic Party. According to the nonpartisan Center for Responsive Politics, unions gave some $90.1 million to Democrats in the 2000 election cycle. In addition to direct contributions in the form of donations to candidates and soft money donations, unions also committed $46 million for a grassroots mobilization effort in 35 congressional districts in 15 states and mobilized thousands of Democratic campaign volunteers, many of whom were getting paid by the unions. According to one union, political union activists registered 2.3 million new union household voters made 8 million phone calls to union households, and distributed more than 14 million leaflets at their workplaces. Nor do even these figures reveal the true amount unions spend on politics. In the 2000 election cycle, union PACs alone spent $128.7 million on all their activities. In short, the 2000 presidential election never would have been as close as it was, and we might not have had the long post-election standoff, if it hadn't been for Big Labor's all-out support for Al Gore. Gore had reason to be beholden to the labor unions even before their help in the general election. Though he had been groomed for years to be the Democratic Party's standard-bearer in 2000, he had to fight off a stiff primary challenge from former Senator Bill Bradley, and there, too, Big Labor swept in. The unions were actually divided between Gore and Bradley. But the leader of the AFL-CIO, perhaps recognizing the benefits of being kingmaker, threw his support to Gore, which saved the vice president's faltering campaign. Gore repaid his union patrons immediately, promising the AFL-CIO that he would oppose a series of measures that threatened the hegemony of labor bosses. He would concede even more during the course of the long campaign. Indeed, at the Democratic National Convention in August... Labor delegates represented the largest single-interest group, as they made up one-third of the 4,368 total delegates. The year 2004 marked another presidential campaign season, and sure enough, big labor ratcheted up its efforts long before the primaries began. The union's ultra-liberal leadership was undeniably united behind a single goal, removing the Republicans from power. The unions made this quite clear in late 2003, when they committed $8 million to the liberal advocacy group America Coming Together, which was designed to coordinate the campaign efforts of big labor and other leftist groups. Interestingly, the driving force behind America Coming Together was, as CNN reported, none other than Hillary Clinton and her leadership committee, Hillpack, which was set up to funnel contributions directly to Democratic candidates, hard money, and to distribute funds to her hand-picked causes, soft money. Although union bosses were rallying with other liberal groups to defeat George W. Bush, they were divided over which Democratic contender to support, just as they had been with Gore and Bradley. Naturally, the candidates were tripping over themselves to secure the endorsement of powerful labor unions, for with an endorsement comes money and manpower. Former Vermont Governor Howard Dean gained momentum in late 2003 
when he received endorsements from two of the most politically powerful unions in America, the Service Employees International Union, SEIU, and the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, AFSCME. When AFSCME President Gerald McEntee announced the endorsement, he declared that the union is going to mobilize the largest and most aggressive grassroots campaign this nation has ever seen. Less than a month later, another official from the government employee union, Brenda Stokely, made clear what political positions the union leadership expected in return for its campaign efforts. The first thing we have to do is remind ourselves that we are fighting for socialism. Surely, Dean recognized how critical Big Labor's support would be to his political fortunes, so perhaps he was pandering to the unions when he veered far to the left on an array of issues, such as taxes and economic policy. Despite his record as a fiscal moderate in Vermont, he resurrected the key campaign promise of 1984's landslide loser, Walter Mondale. Higher taxes for Americans, including the middle class. Then, sounding like Brenda Stokely, he promised more government control of the economy through the re-regulation of American business. Moreover, as Wall Street Journal political reporter John Fund pointed out, the need to keep his own union support has prompted Mr. Dean to apologize for having supported the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, in 1993. He is now a rabid anti-free trader. The race for the 2004 Democratic nomination provided an object lesson in what political campaign teams are willing to do to earn big labor's backing, or to prevent the unions from throwing their support to opposing campaigns. Richard Gephardt of Missouri had spent more than a quarter century in Congress kowtowing to union chieftains. As John Fun put it, Gephardt earned his...